Hello and welcome to the third episode of Up in the Roost, the Aniston Stars Jacksonville State football podcast. As always, I'm Tyler Waldrop here with my colleague Thomas Ashworth. And like normal, we've spent the past couple days arguing over different topics related to the Gamecocks. So we figured we'd just continue that here for y'all today with a couple debates we've been having. Uh, Thomas, I think you wanted to start off with the strength of the offense. I think that there's, we and Tyler have talked about um, that there's a lot of depth on many parts of the offense, but for me, I think that if there's a part of the offense that's going to help Jacksonville State really transition into Conference USA the best, I think that is the running back room. Highlighted by Anwar Lewis, um, one of the interesting notes about Anwar Lewis, his 818 rushing yards, if he were in Conference USA last season, that would have put him in sixth for rushing yards. So that's really exciting uh, when you think about kind of how Jacksonville State fits it fits in is that they already have a guy that already would have ranked in the top 10 of, of, a, of a stat, um, especially on the rushing side. And they're returning Zion Webb, uh, who finished second in rushing yards at 728. So that's also really good for their offense as well, is that they get their dual threat back. And they have really good depth. And Ron Wiggins, as he got almost 500 yards last season rushing, and they obviously added Malik Jackson. And Reggion Bennett's supposed to be back as well to kind of bolster the backside of the running back room but if there's a an offensive group that's going to propel Jacksonville State into Conference USA I think that the running back group is kind of where you'll they'll be able to find the most success so don't let Thomas fool y'all he snuck Zion Webb in there but he was clearly talking about the running backs his official position is the running backs are the strength of this offense so I don't know why we're discussing we'll the quarterback say, well I'll say the rushing uh, side of the offense more okay. so sorry about that okay we're changing things up on the fly <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, that's cheating, but I'll attempt to make my case anyway. I think there's a lot of good points that Thomas made about the running backs, but for me, I think the strength of the offense is probably the offensive line. And I will say, when we spoke to Rich Rodriguez in the spring and we asked him, like, which group improved the most, how does he feel about different position groups, he held his most positive comments back about the offensive line. You know, he's he praised the cornerbacks as the most improved group. He talked about the quarterbacks making progress. But then he said, really, what he wanted to talk about and really get positive about, which Rich Rod isn't always, was the offensive line. He said that group is the hardest working. Uh, he did say that he has concerns about the depth. So I'll go ahead and anticipate your rebuttal. There are depth concerns, but there's four out of five returning starters. Those guys combined for 38 of the 55 total starts last year. To focus on one of those guys, what Traylon Brown was able to do at center after he just sort of got thrown into that spot after Cangelosi gets hurt in the opener was admirable, to say the least. Then we've got Will Osteen at left tackle, who nobody would have thought would have been this dominant. He was arguably the most dominant offensive lineman last year. He was the only one to start all 11 games and he's back, and he's only going to be more prepared this season. So I'm feeling really good about the offensive line. I'll add also um, one fun thing about Traylon Brown is just how fun he is to talk to. I think that Tyler will agree that he's probably one of the best interviews on the media side that we've had. And one of the fun things about the the way that he is is just he wants to talk to people. And many times in the media rooms he would ask, when's it my turn to be interviewed? When's it my turn to jump on the podium? But that's a little fun note for you guys, but I agree that the offensive line is really, I think that it's really encouraging to see 
four of the five starting offensive linemen back, um, especially when you see the kind of games that they started. I mean, like you said, nobody really expected Osteen to step up, and Traylon Brown really had an admirable season as well, and you're bringing back Clay Webb as well. But this is also just a really good offensive line in the sense that there's also going to be a really good running back room behind it and a really good rushing attack from any of the quarterbacks that really play. And the last season, there were almost... If, if Ron Wiggins had 15 more rushing yards, they would have had four 500-yard rushers on the team, um, which were Anwar Lewis, Zion Webb, Matt LaRoche, and Ron Wiggins. And I honestly think that Malik Jackson will slide into that uh, spot that Matt LaRoche had as far as production. And there will be a lot of times, like like we've said many times, that Malik will play anywhere really on the field. But when you look at the value that the running backs bring to or the rushing attack in general uh, from any quarterback that plays. When you look at the value that that brings to the offense and the, the value that it had last season and how it can stand up against Conference USA opponents, I think that that's one of the most encouraging things that you can look at as Jacksonville State makes the move to Conference USA. Loyal listeners to the podcast, if you can have loyal listeners uh, only three episodes in, should already know that I feel very strongly that Malik Jackson is going to have an incredible year. So, Thomas, you don't have to tell me what Malik Jackson might mean to this offense and specifically the running back room. But that said, I think you're minimizing the impact that the offensive line is going to have on determining how successful the not only the offense is, but how impactful it is going to be for Anwar Lewis or... Ron Wiggins or Malik Jackson, or sure, I'll even th- let you throw in Zion Webb or whatever quarterback ends up carrying the ball. If you want to throw that in to your side now at the last minute, that's fine. I will say the big concern is, which Thomas didn't really go after, so I'll go after my own big concern. There's not a clear hierarchy after those four guys. Xavier Bosley spent most of the spring starting at that fifth, the open tackle spot at the right tackle spot. But we saw at the end of spring practice, there were a couple different guys rotating into the mix. Rich Rodriguez at the time said the offensive line was hit harder by injuries than most of the other positions. In fact, Rich Rod actually took some plays out of the spring game uh, that the public got to see, not specific plays, but just reduced the play count overall to avoid injuring any more of those offensive linemen. He didn't want to leave those guys out there any longer than he needed to. So it's tough to know, like, did Xavier Bosley get hurt? And that's why he start, we started to see more guys rotate in, or did those guys just earn playing time? I'm not sure. Either way, there's not a clear, strong second-string unit filled with guys that can step in if the offensive line needs help. And the offensive line needed help last year. I mean, one game in, starting center, uh, Cangelosi goes down. Traylon Brown has to move over and play a position that – uh, yeah, he practiced that, but he wasn't planning to play at for one game, much less the whole season. So I, I think that's the weak point of the offensive line debate. But to go back to what Thomas said about the running backs, yeah, the running backs are going to do great. They're going to run the ball a lot. Zion Webb, who I think is probably going to start, I think he's going to run the ball a lot. I think they're going to have a lot of success. But just in terms of the strength, I think the strength right now when the team's healthy, I think it's the offensive line. Now, could that change two or three weeks in? Absolutely. I I think the offensive line, its strength depends very much on how 
many of those guys can be healthy when we get to mid-October or even November. Now, staying on the topic of the offense, Tyler and I also had some discussion about talking about who might lead the Gamecocks in receiving. I already hinted at Zion Webb uh, earlier in the segment on accident, talking about the rushing attack, but who's going to be the guy that catches the ball most from Zion Webb or whoever starts at quarterback? But Tyler and I actually disagree on this, oddly enough. But Tyler, if you want to talk about who you think is going to lead the Gamecocks in receiving first. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, honestly, Thomas just lets me say what I think, and then he figures out a way to like pick a different side. Because there shouldn't even be a debate about this. Tight end Sean Brown is the obvious pick. I think he's the only pick. I think picking anybody else is saying that you think Sean Brown is not going to be healthy enough to finish the season. He was only healthy through two weeks, I think, of spring practice. But during those two weeks, I would guess Sean Brown averaged seven, eight, ten catches of practice. I mean, whether it was Zion Webb, whether it was Tayshaun Smoot, whether it was any quarterback in, they were all looking Sean Brown's way if he was on the field. I think sometimes they might have been looking his way when he wasn't even on the field at all, and maybe that's why some of those balls were so off target. Maybe they were trying to get it to him anyway. I just think he's going to dominate, not even because the coaches are going to draw it up. I think the quarterbacks feel comfortable going to the tight end position. I think they trust Sean Brown. I think that trust in Sean Brown is why we saw Pearson Baldwin have so much success stepping in because the quarterbacks were so used to looking that way on specific plays. They just kept doing it even when Sean Brown wasn't there. I I don't know. Maybe opposing defenses take him out of it, but otherwise I think it's going to be Sean Brown each and every week. While I see 100% the value of Sean Brown, especially during spring practice when, like you said, they were looking for Pearson Baldwin all the time, I think that it'll be one of the receivers. Um, we already saw Sterling Galvin lead the team last season in re- in receiving yards with 433. Sean Brown had 331, and he led the team in catches by 10. There's plenty of guys that it's easy for you to say, oh yeah, they'll fit right into the step up to FBS. And I think that Sterling Galvin's one of the guys. He's fast and he's a, has really good hands. And something that Rich Rodriguez also talked about was really aiming for versatility in the wide receiver room. So whether you see Sterling Galvin play his usual position, whether you see him play in the slot, whether you see him play deep, whether you see him play wherever on the field, I think that he's still going to be the main target of Zion Webb. And I don't think he had that much time that he missed in spring, but the time that he did miss, you saw other people still get the ball thrown to them, like Perry Carter. You saw Mike Petway get thrown the ball to a lot. So I think that still there's going to be a lot of reliance on Sterling Galvin and Honestly, if it's not Sterling Galvin, I would see I could see a lot of other receivers getting a lot of other um, yardage, especially Mike Petway and Perry Carter, who just have such endurance. Like we saw, we saw that they just didn't miss any time uh, with injury. But Sterling Galvin did lead the team last season, but still, I think that he's still a really strong candidate to lead the lead, to lead the team again. Thomas, what did you think of Pearson Baldwin spring? I thought that he was great. Like we said, I mean, he filled in really well for Sean Brown. But again, whenever Sterling Galvin was out as well, we saw him really have a hole. And we saw him really have a lot of his passes get caught by Mike Petway and Perry Carter. So there was still, you know, a real absence of Sterling Galvin in the same way that there was an absence of Sean Brown. 
I just think the fact that both of us talked a lot about Pearson Baldwin and wrote a lot about Pearson Baldwin, and then we did a podcast where we praised Pearson Baldwin. I think, A, that does speak to Pearson Baldwin's talent, but I still just think it speaks to how comfortable the quarterbacks were looking for those tight ends. I think it speaks to what routes they were looking for. And, yeah, okay, Sterling Galban, I will say you, there was a drop-off. When Sterling Galban left with an injury, there, the practices looked different. I agree. Sean Brown was also out. I think that probably contributed as well. But I just think those first four practices, five practices, where they were both out there, I, I was just struck each and every day by Sean Brown makes a great catch. Sean Brown makes a great catch. Sean Brown makes a catch. Sean Brown... Like, just Sean Brown, I just felt like I was getting hit over the head every single practice with not only how well Sean Brown looked, but how often the quarterbacks looked for him. And it didn't matter whether it was Zion or uh, some of the backup guys or Tayshawn Smoot. I just, I think Sean Brown's going to be a big part of this offense, and I think he's going to be a way bigger part than he was last year. So that concludes the debates Thomas and I have had in the last two days or so about the Gamecocks. This time of the year, it is officially conference media days season. So all the conferences either have already met or are currently in the process of doing that. So Thomas and I just figured we'd have a discussion about Conference USA and the schedule in general. So Thomas, I think you wanted to lead off by talking about your most important game for the Gamecocks this season. So for me, I think that looking at their schedule, I think honestly the most important game is their first game of the season against UTEP. I think that there's... A lot of things about this game, obviously, it's their obviously their first FBS game. It's their first time hosting an FBS team in their stadium, and it's their first time that they're going to have an FBS game in the quote-unquote prime time that they have um, throughout the season. And while there's plenty of other important games, I think that what Jacksonville State really needs as they make the jump from FBS to FBS is a really good first impression. Yeah, so I've actually changed my opinion on this several times, including in the last five minutes. I've actually decided I think the most important game on the schedule, at least looking at it in the middle of July, is the same Houston State game uh, on September 28th. It's the first midweek game for Jacksonville State. It's on a Thursday. It's going to be on ESPNU. I think those ESPNU games could end up being the biggest crowd that watches the Gamecocks. Uh, there's there's a couple other options late in the season that might get bigger crowds, but for the ones that already have TV partners now, I think the ESPNU games are going to do well. I think that Sam Houston State game is important, not only because it's on TV and it's a chance to make a first impression in front of a nationally televised audience. Also, Sam Houston State is moving up as well. I think this is a chance, no matter how the other games go, Jacksonville State can. Rich Rod isn't going to, but fans can always fall back on the, that's an FBS team, we're moving up, it's our first year. You can't make that argument with Sam Houston State. They're in the exact same boat. With both of these teams making the transition up to the FBS at the same time, and they're both joining Conference USA, I don't think it's crazy to speculate that there might not be room for both of these teams to really be successful, at least from a big pitcher competing for conference championships down the line type of success. So 
I think the team that wins this first meeting probably takes an important step towards filling that role if there really is only one spot. Now, both of these teams could be at the top or the bottom, but I would rather win this game than lose this game. I, I think this is an important game for a lot of reasons, so I think this is probably the most important game on the schedule. Also, looking at the schedule, there's a lot of reason to look at their first road game against Coastal Carolina. One thing that's really interesting to me is just how recently these Jacksonville State beat Coastal Carolina. I mean, in 2016, it was 27-26, to 26, um, and Jacksonville State beat Coastal Carolina in Burgess Snow. I think that there's a lot of reason to look at this game, but one of the more interesting things is just how different these programs have developed. I mean, Coastal Carolina has been a top 25 program uh, for a few years now, and they're really developed as a, one of the top programs in the Sun Belt. Um, they're drawing a lot of interest from transfers. There's a lot of reason to look at Coastal Carolina. So I think this will give Jacksonville State the first opportunity to compete against one of the best teams in the country um, because Coastal Carolina has won nine games in the, at least in their last few years. So I think that this will be the first – while their first two games will be could be difficult, I think that this first game against Coastal Carolina will also give Jacksonville State their first true taste of FBS football. Yeah, I think the the important thing worth noting with Coastal Carolina is Coastal Carolina had one of the better transitions, if I remember correctly, in recent history. Um, I, I haven't gone back and looked at what their first couple years looked like exactly, but just it didn't take a long time for Coastal Carolina to find its footing at the FBS level, and that's probably the type of transition Jacksonville State would love to have too. And I think this year is going to go a long way towards determining is this transition going to be a relatively smooth one? There's a couple rebuilding years and then Jacksonville State's arrived, or is this going to be one of the more painful transitions? I think year one at the FBS level is always important in determining that when it comes to recruiting and you know when recruits are involved, it matters how people perceive you nationally. Speaking of recruiting, I just went back just because I was curious what does it mean to recruit well in Conference USA? Uh, I could have gone back farther, but I just looked at last year, and I, you know, I looked at rivals, I looked at twenty four seven, I looked at one, and there were only three. There's only three current Conference USA teams that were ranked in any of those sites. So Louisiana Tech was widely viewed as the best. They were in the seventies according to two of the services. They were down at ninety six, and the other. Liberty was 73 for Rivals, 97 for one. Uh, Sam Houston State, I was actually surprised, uh, was the only school that was ranked by all three. They were ranked 97, 95th, and 88. So, uh, of course, there were some Conference USA people, teams that left the conference that recruited a lot better. Uh, UTSA was up in the 50s across the board. Um, you know, UAB, FAU, and Rice, they were in the 80s pretty much across the board. So I don't, recruiting well in Conference USA, it's still not what you, it's not what you would think of when you think of like success from a SEC standpoint or a Big Ten standpoint. You know, it's still a group of five conference. Uh, you're not gonna be recruiting top 25 classes, at least anytime soon with what the conference currently looks like. But the reason I'm talking about all of this is I think how Jacksonville State does this year will go a long way towards determining if Jacksonville State can break in on the national recruiting stamp stage. You know, can Jacksonville State work their way in and, and start recruiting classes that are ranked in the 80s? 
I think that would be a huge ask right away, but I think if Jacksonville State has success this year, that could certainly happen. And and I think while it doesn't sound flashy, I think Rich Rod would be thrilled if next year, two years from now, we can talk about Jacksonville State having a class that's ranked in the 80s or, or whatever, along with the best that Conference USA is doing. And... Honestly, I mean, if you look at their TV schedule, that does nothing but help them. They have four games on ESPNU and two on CBS Sports Network as of right now, and that's only going to help them. Um, being able to put not just the football team on a bigger stage, but the university on a bigger stage. And with the new facilities that are coming and really all the transfers that they've gotten as well, I think that that's really going to help if they find success. And even if they don't find success, that's still putting them in a really strong position to not only recruit well, but to be able to build their program as one of the ones that people will, if anything else, say, if I play for this team, I'm going to be on TV. And with the new facilities, like I said, with the new recruits, and even with you know Rich Rodriguez being the head coach, I think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that Jacksonville State's going to be able to fit into that bill of being a top 90, top 80 recruiting class, honestly, sooner than later. Yeah, and, and I mean, anyone listening to this podcast is probably excited about the TV schedule just because, hey, it will be easier to watch Jacksonville State, especially when they're on the road. But people are talking about it. I, you know, I'm talking to people in the community surrounding Jacksonville. I'm talking to athletes that are considering going there for football or other sports, and they have noticed, like, when you bring up the TV schedule, like, it is something that brings excitement. I do think it carries weight with recruits on a national level. And I think you're right. I think the TV schedule is important because there are, you know, there are recruits out there in Kansas that may have never heard of Jacksonville State or if they have, it's certainly not a school they're thinking about. But if Rich Rod is winning games Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights when there's not competition when college football fans or recruits who got home from practice want to watch something on TV. And it's really easy to turn on the TV and decide to watch the Gamecocks because there's not going to be a lot of competition at those hours, especially for football. So, I mean, I remember last season, Rich Rod bringing up in press conference, like, I'll play Sunday night, Monday night, you know, Tuesday night, I'll play Friday afternoon. I mean, I think Rich Rod was serious when he said, I'll play whenever the TV partners want me to play. Just put us on TV and give us a chance to get in front of a national audience. And, I mean, I, he got rewarded. I mean, this this is – it may not seem like much, but this TV schedule is the most Jacksonville State will ever be on TV in its history. Anyway, that'll do it for this episode of Up in the Roost. I just want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm not lying when I say it's the highlight of my week. I'm fairly confident it's the highlight of Thomas's week. We love doing this. It will be even more fun when we have some live news and, and practice results that we can uh, react to. Yeah, and if y'all have any thoughts about the podcast, you know, feel free to email us or reach out on Twitter. Thomas and I are pretty much always checking our phones. So if you have any thoughts or feedback, things you liked, things you didn't like, uh, suggestions for the podcast, we're early on. We're very open to... Uh, taking on some new ideas as we get this thing uh, going. And uh, if you happen to be listening on Spotify, that we run some polls with each episode, so we appreciate y'all for voting. Uh, today, I'd like to encourage you to go in and just 
vote that the uh, offensive line is the strength of the team, vote for Sean Brown, things like that. And uh, take care, and we'll see you next time.